Hello and welcome to episode five of Summoner's Corner. I'm your host, Will, and I am joined as I am each week by my friend, Josh. What's up, everybody? How's it going, dude? It's certainly going. I'm excited to be back into uh, regular season this week. Yeah, so uh, what's your major takeaway from week one? Do you have any big, big polls, I guess, big takes from week one? Yeah, um, so... I actually want to quote Core JJ for this. Uh, I think it just sums up what we're what our outlook is right now perfectly. Core JJ uh, a couple of days ago tweeted out, "2020 league is stronger than 2021 league," and you know I think that just sums it up perfectly. Uh, there were a lot of stomps this week, a lot of Fiesta games, and uh, I, I think the overall theme for week one is like just needs improvement, straight up. We don't look good as a region. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. With that being said, let's jump right into the episode. So, day one, we had first game of the day was FlyQuest versus TSM. Overall, I think didn't go as expected. FlyQuest got the win. I feel like they were probably the underdogs in that matchup. Yeah, FlyQuest is certainly starting to show signs of life. Uh, they got their full roster in, Jose Diodo coming in, and certainly livening things up for them. It, yeah, it's good to see. Second game of the day, definitely an upset. I don't think anyone saw this coming at all. Team Liquid versus Immortals. And Immortals somehow get the win. We're gonna dive into that game, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep moving on here. The next game is really good one to watch. Hundred Thieves versus Evil Genius. We saw these as two of the top teams coming out of the lock-in tournament. Both of them made it to the semifinals, got beat by Cloud9 and TL. So good to see these two teams face up. After that, Cloud9 Golden Guardians. This was another one. This one actually went as expected, though. Cloud9 looking dominant. Third game of the day, Dignitas versus CLG. A battle for the bottom <laughs> from what we've seen so far. And Dignitas came out on top. Yeah, and CLG this weekend also playing with a substitute in the mid lane, benching Poe Belter for cited attitude problems, I believe, in scrims. So we may dive into that a little bit later, just as far as how the mid lane performance looked without Poe Belter there. Yeah, for sure. And I will say, Broxa still having visa issues, so they're not playing with 100% their full lineup. Griffin has been subbing in. You probably People listening would probably know him better as Wiggly. He changed his, his summoner name. It's now Griffin, but yeah. Uh, so let's let's dive into this, this first major game. Immortals versus Liquid, and Immortals comes out on top. The first big note that I have here is this is the first North American Pantheon that we've seen played. It's been permabanned up until now, and Xerxes played it in his debut. This is actually the, our first time seeing Immortals' real roster because they they subbed in the Academy team through the lock-in tournament, and and right away Xerxes pulling out a champ that we have never seen. So that that was really cool right off the bat. I think. And what can I say? They looked good here, yeah, but they also got the champ that was permabanned the entire lock-in tournament, right? So so do they look good? Yes. Are they playing with a crutch and a step up from champion select? Yeah, it kind of looks that way, doesn't it? But you also have to keep in mind, we don't really know how much 
time this roster has had to play together. They've had no actual stage experience playing together as a full roster. It's literally just been in scrims. So I, I think you have to take that into consideration as well when looking at, at a team like this getting a win. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. This is a uh, an untested roster. So and, and really what a test it is for them coming and playing against one of the perceived uh, top three of the league for first day for their first game of the day. I, I will say, listening to to some other players and high elo streamers and stuff, uh, people are thinking TL has has a chance at Worlds this year, like making a run in Worlds this year with how strong their lineup. I is. mean, look, so like the, this team I, is no joke in the grand scheme of things. As much as I want to believe that, I've been sold that same thing for the last I don't know what season are we in now? How many years has it been? You know what I mean. So I will believe it when I see it. I like to be optimistic like that. I like to have faith, but at this point, I'm just kind of old and jaded, and I've been fed that same line for for ten plus years. So, and I think I think one of the big things to really look at here is one of the big pulls is they got this incredible European top laner Alfari. He stomped in Europe League through last year, and he looked really really strong through Lockin tournament. He had like eight solo kills. Maybe nine solo kills, I think the stat was. Uh, and the next closest behind him was like four. So uh, very dominant in his own right, not even like needing the team really to play around him or anything to to get to be successful. And he goes in <laughs> tweeting, uh, I think it was like that day or maybe the day before he tweeted, don't want to get ahead of myself, but might go deathless in spring. And you've got to love... You want to know how well that aged? <laughs> you, you've got to love all these cocky... European and rookie players coming in, right? Like Perks in the lock-in tournament might go deathless for the lock-in, right? We've got this one coming in. We've had a few other rookies coming in just talking a bunch of trash, you know? And it really... It, it does make it a lot more interesting, it, for It's sure. interesting, it's entertaining, but it has not looked good on them, like, the next game. Like, like <laughs> no. directly, immediately after, like, the next game after. <laughs> so if you didn't catch the game and you're not sure what we're talking about, Immortals top laner Revenge, who is a rookie, coming out as just a, a solo queue player, really, gets a solo kill on Elfari, pretty much under his tower. Like he he took like two tower shots, I say. It wasn't like a full on tower dive, but yeah, not not a good start to this game for Elfari. Uh, and it was uh, the matchup was Elfari playing Kennen and Revenge on Irelia. Yeah, and to Revenge's credit, he grows that first blood lead into a 3-0 20 CS lead. So it, it's not just, you know, a fluke like, oh, player comes in, gets lucky against good top laner, has lead. To his credit, he was able to grow that lead from there. It's not like he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, he... He, he he played with it very well, and there was one play out after that that really stuck out to me, which, which are those next two kills he got. Oh, yeah, this was so five-head. I, I was like... Yeah, that, that's my note, is, is this was such a five-head play. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I was... It reminded me of Medios' Lee Sin play at Worlds, except not scuffed. That's a good way of putting it. And I will say, it, it looked like this was going to be a 3v2 for Immortals, where because Immortals bot lane was was coming up, but I can't remember. I think Reyes was on Kaisa this game, if I'm not mistaken. But Reyes never ended up actually like moving all the way up and joining that fight. I think he was doing something in River, so it was actually just a straight two v two, 
And uh, again, like you said, getting that first blood and then getting a bit of CS lead was enough for them to just stomp that fight. I mean, Revenge pretty much instantly blew up the the Senna and then cleaning up Tom Kench was easy after that, getting him two more kills. It was so clean. Such a smart play by him. Absolutely. And, you know, when you land the point blank line Irelia's done, they're, they're, your goose is cooked at that point, right? Like, you walk up as a bot lane and you get double stunned by an Irelia that's just on you at that point. Like, she's already behind you, uh, sitting in that second brush in top lane. Like, they, they just had no chance. There, there was straight up just no chance there. Yeah, super clean, smart play from Revenge. Uh, one of the other notes that I have is their, their support, Destiny was on Blitzcrank, he had some really, really clean hooks. He looked really good on that Blitzcrank. Honestly, I think that was one of the best Blitzcrank's performances that we've seen so far, because we, we've actually seen this champ played quite a few times now. Um, but I, I think he looked possibly the cleanest on it. It was really nice. Yeah, so this is something I actually wanted to touch on. We are seeing Blitzcrank maybe on average once a day to once every two days right now. You know, just just sort of a fringe pick. And I think this is a great spot for Blitzcrank as a champion. You don't want to see him every game. It makes games a little too volatile. But it really is exciting when someone can actually pull out a Blitzcrank and use it once a day or once and every I few think, days. I, I think the most common place that we've seen it as well is when the enemy team locks in the Tom Kench before you lock in your support. And really, Blitz is a really good counter to Tom Kench because... If you pull Kench, he can't gobble the ADC. If you pull the ADC, the ADC can't get gobbled, right? Like, it's a really good counter. And obviously, if a Tom Kench is, like, really good and just has crazy fast fingers, uh, you you can potentially play around it, but it, it makes it a lot harder. And it, it makes what once was a very safe lane a dangerous lane again. Yeah, that separation and that uh, ability to really get champions that need to be in correct position out of position is just such a powerful tool and it doesn't fit inside every comp just because of the way bot lane works right now a lot of well so a lot of melee champs right like if you get alistar or leona if you hook them you're kind of screwed and then as well uh if you're looking at going against more like, like double ranged bot versus blitz blitz is more likely to get poked out and poked up lane right like it and i think that's why we're primarily just seeing it as this counter pick for tom kench but it's great that it finally has a spot i remember thinking way back to when blitz was playing we're talking like when mad life was playing right and like those days it was just it was blitz thresh blitz thresh blitz thresh like like back and forth yeah every other game and it, it took a lot of the excitement out of it because you knew it was coming yeah yeah it's definitely nice seeing it um more infrequently because you still get the excitement of like oh gr like we we get to see a blitzcrank and it's not just an every game thing where it's oh it's another blitzcrank i i really have two more notes on on this match and then i'm good to move on w one big thing that i noticed is despite immortals playing very well overall uh, I think TL was out macroing them through this whole game. And honestly, I think a big part of that is just overall, d despite this loss, TL is a better team than Immortals. I, I think they just struggled. Uh, I don't think they expected Immortals to come out quite this strong. I, I feel like they almost might have underestimated this roster a bit because Immortals didn't look bad through their other games either overall. 
but but overall TL just out macroed them uh through the entire game. They 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 were playing very very well around the Irelia making sure that she was always pretty much on the other side of the map of, of what what whatever they were trying to do. But then I I think the the thing that broke the camel's back for this game is at at like 2820 roughly Court JJ I think just through the game. Jensen gets caught out on the Yone and it's it's a 4v1 and Core JJ Tom Kench alts in making it a 4v3 which you're still losing. I just I don't I don't know what his thought process was there. Like Jensen was practically dead by the time that the alts actually came through. So I think this in particular is a case of TL looking and Core JJ looking and saying, okay, if we lose our mid laner, who is a high percentage of our damage here, we will also very likely just lose Baron and then lose subsequent objectives, right? So so lose Baron and like lose in hip, for example. So I I think it's yeah. him trying to make a desperation play. Uh if you look at the gold throughout this whole game, TL is actually up in gold until this fight. Even going into this fight, like yeah. like as as IMT are getting kills, after the first two kills, they are still up a kill's worth of gold and two dragons. And, and again, I I think that's overall where where the macro thing comes in. Like they were taking towers, they were taking objectives, they were just doing a lot better around the map overall, despite Immortals uh, getting ahead on kills. I will say though, after this point. TL did seem to flounder a little bit. I, I felt like after this, in the final fight especially, they looked very split off. They were coherent up to this point. Their macro yeah. was fantastic as it always is. But I think this actually did throw them off kilter a little bit. We might see, we may have seen some sort of weakness finally coming out of this roster. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like I said, I really do think this is what... Uh, really pushed the game in Immortal's favor because they were able to grab the Baron. They picked up more objectives off of that. There was a huge gold lead swing. And, and honestly, like once Immortals got that uh, that lead, I think they played really well with it as well. Like especially considering this is a very new team. Absolutely. I, I think part of this is getting gold onto the correct members and then being in a position where they're empowered to carry. Right? So so you've got Oriana Always scales phenomenally. Two zero three heading into the final fights. Kaisa hyper carry in the bot lane. Also two one and one. You look at the farm numbers. Also, uh, now, now bot lane it, it's unfair to compare because Senna was playing like the fasting Senna, but two thirty eight on Kaisa, two ninety one on Ori, and then two sixty four on Irelia. So they farmed extremely well. Uh, all lanes were up again not a fair comparison for bot lane all lanes were up except for mid lane at that point and that was only by three cs and that that's yone who auto attacks everything so so really to imt's credit they kept pace immaculately which which i can't understate against tl to keep pace even against this stellar stellar macro play and then to find those very very narrow weaknesses from tl like they did this roster is showing a lot of promise. Yeah, I'm very excited for it going into the future. All right, that's all I had for TL versus Immortals. Uh, that, that was a game that I was really excited to talk about just because I, I was excited to see Reyes and, and Xerxes and just all, all the new players for Immortals overall, really. It, it's time for our next game, which happened on day two. 
Josh, do you want to just quickly go over the day two games and uh, who won each of them? Yeah, for sure. So this is the Saturday games. Starting off, we've got FlyQuest taking on Evil Geniuses with Evil Geniuses coming out victorious. Uh, next up, we've got TL Dignitas went as expected with TL coming out on top. Uh, next game, and this is the one we're going to touch on. This is the 100 Thieves CLG game, and 100 Thieves came out on top of that one in a very back-and-forth game. After that, we had C9 TSM with C9 coming out on top, uh, another one we're going to touch on. And then Golden Guardians versus Immortals, and Golden Guardians came out on top in that one. So Josh, you're, you're more excited to talk about this one than me. Uh, lead us off with this 100 Thieves versus CLG. Oh man, do I have some notes on this one. Okay, so we had a Nocturne pick in this game. I have hundreds of games on Nocturne. So I know most of the ins and outs here. And man, this was a textbook, textbook Nocturne game, like start to finish. I, I think it did a really good job of showing Nocturne's strengths and his weaknesses definitely definitely both yes okay so starting with picks and bans nocturne is picked last which is very important because nocturne is very easy to counterpick nocturne is very one-dimensional you know what the goal is when a nocturne is picked unless unless there are special situations you know like if there's a shen in the top lane and you're trying to maneuver in some sort of submarine comp which can be very effective but the cooldowns are very long that's a whole different story um in this case though it's dive it's dive 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 nocturne only goes one way um and so looking into this team you know they had a squishy jungler uh talia was the jungler for 100 thieves uh fbi was playing kaisa so re really there, there's two people that nocturne cannot jump on uh and that is uh someday's renekton and who he's leona yes uh, otherwise there are some very juicy targets yes now and generally leona and renekton both go forward in fights all the time there's very little actual backline peel uh so moving into the game from here Oh, also one other thing. Nocturne in this game was also a ball delivery system for Oriana, which is really cool, but takes a lot more coordination than you think because Nocturne's range is so long and Ori's is limited. While it's longer, while the ball is attached to a champion, Nocturne's, speaking personally again, Nocturne's tend to go very, very deep. Uh, something else that we saw used a lot on the side of CLG is the rel pick for smoothie there, there's a, another synergy there with nocturne where the rel will bond to him giving him uh some extra defensive stats he dives into the back and then you just have that massive line stun on on her e if, if you're able to keep in range to stay connected with him so so getting in into the game it looks like hundred thieves is looking to make a play for clg's blue buff and at, at this point, Finn had already come down to the bot side just in case that had happened. But he stayed way too long. He he stayed there up until blue buff spawned, which forced him at level one to TP back up to top lane. But at that point, the Renekton was already pushing. Finn missed 
all of the minions on that first wave except for one. I'm pretty sure you got experience on all of them still, but did not get the last hit on any of them except for one. And I think it was a ranged minion as well. So very, very bad start. And because Renekton got that first push, he as soon as the Gregas came in, he just started bullying him and it really set Finn so far behind. Yeah, so Finn started out behind, but then there were these gifts from 100 Thieves immediately after that. Uh, so at the three-minute mark, there's a dive bot lane by the 100T uh, duo, plus a TP from mid lane, I believe. Yeah, it was a level two dive attempt. And my god, did this look off. Griffin was there. Now, uh, I- I'm going to be talking about Nocturne a lot, like I said. And one thing you have to know is pre-6, he's a melee minion. And post-6 without his ulti, he's a melee minion. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a champ that is heavily reliant on that ulti. So really, if there's a time to bully, if there's a time to make these plays, 100 Thieves is in the correct time window, but their execution was just not good here. So the dive happens, they chase back to tier 2, Nocturne's there, they get one kill but give up two behind towers. Yeah, and I will say with the initial dive attempt, I think Smoothie played it so, so well on that rel to, I I mean, just prevent them from dying. I, I think he was one of the main reasons that they came out on top of that dive. He played it fantastically. He he looked really good throughout this whole game, I think, on rel. He played very, very well. Absolutely, and I will say 100 Thieves did partially accomplish their goal because the wave was pushing into the clg tower by killing the samira they did successfully deny farm and xp to an extent however giving two kills back is not a good trade for that yeah it it wasn't a total fail um but overall definitely a loss in the grand scheme of things for 100 thieves right so that wasn't a total fail but then we looked at the top lane at 3 minutes and 30 seconds. This is 30 seconds after the other dive started. So this, yep. is, this is while people are still recovering from that. And Someday and Closer go for a dive onto Finn's Gragas. And it turns out the same way. They, they just totally fail. They tank too many tower shots, and one of them dies for free. It's insane. We saw so many good proactive plays from 100 Thieves in the lock-in tournament. They looked like a very strong proactive team. And then they come in here and they just absolutely shit the bed. Yeah, it was rather interesting to see. And one thing I will note that I think is really funny. I'm pretty sure it was Closer talking about it in the postgame interview. Uh, they they like asked him about the early game. And one of the comments he said is like, oh, yeah, we do everything like really confidently as a team. So even though we were inting i think we were inting confidently (laughs) that was just such a funny line for me to hear especially from a pro player (laughs) which is funny because that's how clg looks late in this game yeah so so moving on i want to try and push through this uh a little bit later 100 thieves fail yet another dive top this one at 12 15 they they get rjs to use teleport but they don't get anything else out of it so like they're they're playing so aggressively and looking for so many of these dives and just none of them have worked for them yet. And it really is a shame because I don't I don't think they're doing a lot wrong, 
it's just like unfortunate turnouts, you know, like I really do like to see this, these proactive plays, right? Like usually the team that takes proper initiative has an edge just because they've taken the initiative. They've prepared first and make the first move and that gives them an edge. Uh, so, so it is unfortunate, but yeah, it, it just, it looked bad the whole way through, man. It was really rough and like CLG through this like mid game i think they played really well with the lead they managed to turn it into an infernal soul which they picked up at the 32 minute mark however off of that infernal fight 100 thieves were able to clean up and they ended up actually tying up the gold lead so al- although clg w- was playing around these drags obviously in order to get this a uh, pretty good timing uh, on the dragon soul picking it up at 32 minutes but it it felt like they weren't doing a lot else to grow their lead, considering how easy it was for hundred thieves to come in and and just tie up the gold. And, and mind you, it it's still not completely. It, there's still not complete parity because you have Infernal Soul on CLG, which is just realistically uh, probably a thousand gold in like quote unquote stats if you were to like put put an amount on it. So they're the gold is even but clg still has the advantage having this soul i i I don't know if if you have some notes in between here uh uh, cut me off because i'm i'm jumping times here i actually just want to draw us back to one one point in this game draw us back to about the 1630 minute mark clg has won two to three more fights pretty decisively at this point the score is eight to two now let's let's look at the the stat lines here two zero three gragas 203 Nocturne at 16 minutes. Nocturne wants to alt on cooldown and get a substantial early lead because that's the only way Nocturne can carry in late game is just to have this massive gold lead, right? And also 402 on Ori. That's their late game carry potential right there. That's that's their insurance policy. And she is the absolute most fed in the game. Mm-hmm. And RGS looked really good on it early on for uh for this guy being a sub, like not even their intended starting mid laner. He looked really clean on it through this early and mid game. Yeah, he looked phenomenal, absolutely. Uh but then moving forward, um So this is this is kind of the trend. That this is the the peak where Nocturne is at uh, its most potent, its most powerful. But then so so there there's two things. Nocturne falls off, and also the build coming out from Griffin, I do not agree with. If you're ahead as Nocturne, you have one drop. Go in and kill the carry. It doesn't matter if you die after that, but there's two big damage carries on the side of 100 Thieves. There's the Kaisa and the Syndra. You gotta go in, you gotta pop one of them. That, that's your drop. You are through and through an assassin, and you have one of those two targets in mind every fight. Yeah, and I, I actually remember there was one fight there where Syndra was just all by herself top lane pretty much, and Griffin ulted in and wasn't able to kill her. He just didn't have the damage, even though he's crazy far ahead. But if you look, he went... Uh... And that feels so bad, because it's such a big cooldown. Yeah, so he went Gore Drinker and Merc Treads, and... If you're all ending anyways, you're behind the enemy lines, you're going to get killed. It's just the way it is. You may as well at least trade one for one, and I don't see this build doing this reliably. Well, then I, I think one of the really big things is I'm not 
a huge fan of this pick for CLG especially since they don't have their full roster right now. They've just made they they've put a sub in, so they're not even playing with the team that they're they have practice with in scrims and stuff. And I think for Nocturne to be successful in competitive, you need a very cohesive unit. We we've seen in my memory, we've seen one really successful Nocturne player, and that was Blabber early on last year. He played this champ, I want to say like five or six different times, and it looked fantastic. But that is on, I, I mean, first of all, probably the best juggler in North America, but also a very cohesive unit that has a set plan. And when someone says go, they go. And I'm not, I, I don't think CLG clg are there right now especially when you're you're putting in a sub i totally agree and i think that was notably demonstrable in fights in this game and everything went clg's way this game too as far as like dragons and stuff three infernals uh the last one being soul is like the dream for nocturne best absolute best case scenario it gives you so much more no mountains on the other team like a water wouldn't have mattered but no, no mountains on the other team. They're as squishy as can be. That is like the perfect setup. But yeah, ultimately, part of it was CLG not being able to capitalize on that big early lead. And the other part of it was just the the core of their dive comp just falling off too hard late game. And then I, I think the, the point that solidified the win for 100 Thieves here was it was right around the 38 minute mark. There was both teams were positioning for the elder dragon a fight started to break out it was looking like fairly even but then wild turtle on samira flashes just into the middle of 300 thieves players and instantly dies which like if you know wild turtle is not very surprising no but it's still so it's disappointing to see every time (laughs) i i also think at that point they were getting desperate because they saw how much they were falling off they saw how unsuccessful their comp was becoming. Uh, but yeah, after this point, it, it's basically just COG hitting their head against the wall until they knock themselves out. Because they're still pushing. They're still like confidently going forward. They, and, and this is coming back to the uh, the quote you said about inting confidently. That's the de- They're pushing the inhibitors of 100 Thieves' base and Nocturne ults in and dies and creates a 4v5. Yeah, it, it was it was rough. That's really all I had for, for that game. I, I do like seeing the Nocturne pick, but not not this time. <laughs> I'd love to see Blabber pick it up again. <laughs> I would love to see more, but more CDR and and j- just lean into what you're best at and be an assassin. Don't don't go for a bruiser build. So the next team or the next game that we really wanted to talk about was the C9 versus TSM game. Uh, this is one that I was really excited about. And uh, Josh, I'm sorry because you're, you're a TSM fan. Yeah, but I, I, I feel like... I don't know if we wanted to talk about this necessarily, <laughs> but uh, yeah, go I, I just ahead. I, go I really feel like this, this is a game that really demonstrates C9's strengths and TSM's weaknesses, right? which is why I really wanted to highlight on it. There, there was a few things in draft right off the bat that really threw me off. TSM gave up Udyr and Alistar to Cloud9, which are both champions that Blabber and Vulcan, respectively, have been just insanely dominant on. And then the other thing that really threw me off is they picked Corky mid for PoE. 
And I, I was I was watching both Dom, I, I Will Dominate, and Double Lifts streams uh, periodically through this, and both of them were saying very similar things. In their opinions, Quirky can just not survive because there's there's really only two points in the game where Quirky is an actual champion, and that's when he has package or when he's like full build. And if he doesn't have package and if he's not full build, he really doesn't do much. And and I think that showed in this game really. And also look looking across the aisle really quick, Cloud9 has Jax Azir late game. Like, do you really want to play to that point in the oh, game? Oh yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I did not like that quirky pick. One of the other things if anyone if any top planners in the LCS are watching this, I really hope that you fucking learned your lesson. If you're playing Camille, fucking take flash. Holy <laughs> shit. Stop with this ignite teleport bullshit, man. This got called out in the broadcast too. It looks so useless. It looks so fucking bad. And it it was it was something that uh double lift especially was so aggravated with because he he made the really good point of like the playmaking that you can have on camille when you have flash is out of this world at times being able to flash alt people or e flash onto people to guarantee stuns is so so powerful it's such a good tool and i'm sorry but having ignite for more lane pressure and 1v1 potential is not worth it and especially against Blabber. Blabber has been punishing all of these top laners. He's so good at ganking Camille specifically, too. It's crazy. He's been farming them like they're a cannon. It's insane. Uh, th- those are my really big takes <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> was that draft I was not a fan of. And then getting into that game and seeing the Camille without Flash was so just tilting <laughs> instantly. Building on what you just said... I want to point out the first gank because this this first gank exemplifies that so beautifully. So Fudge pushes up. It was really clean. Hooney knows he's getting ganked. Immediately sees the Udyr coming from the back bush close to his tower and goes for the E out. Yeah, he E's to the back wall. And rather than try to flash into where Camille is going or where camille will end up which would be under tower udir flashes right to the, the the intersection with the wall because camille has to redirect yeah right where those blades stick in the and wall he has time to stop her right there and it's it's just such a brilliant flash yeah like e- even if you're mashing e on camille there is still a brief second where you pause on that wall and, and blabber timed that so well and also just like Having having the vision and like reaction time and, and everything to to see exactly where those blades are and flash. He flashed directly on top of them, man. Like just the how quick he would have had to move the mouse and everything to do that is so impressive. Yeah, beautiful gank overall leads to an early C9 lead. I, I will say Fudge misplayed in that fight, though, still. And, and Blabber like managed to make it OK by by getting the flash done. But like there was there was a little bit of fight that broke out first where where there was a, a trade and Fudge presses E way too late in my opinion like the Camille is right in his face and he waits until she starts walking away to press the E to try and get the stun and because of that he ends up missing it and I think that could have been so much cleaner if he just actually f- 
fucking press the button sooner. <laughs> that, is a, that, that was frustrating. Overall, I think Fudge actually played like fairly well in this game, but uh, I was a little annoyed to see that slight misplay there, missing that stun on the Jack's E. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we have been critical of Fudge after his performance in Lockin as well. So the little things are going to stand out to us a bit more just because we're looking with that critical eye already. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like overall, this wasn't too bad. No, and, and I, I have a note for later on in the game where he actually made a pretty insane play. But before that happens, TSM was doing their best 100 Thieves impression here. Hooney just ints into the mid lane <laughs> uh, around the 815 mark, r- running it down. And again, like, Corky doesn't have package, so Corky really isn't adding a ton of damage. Hooney comes in mid to try and get uh, a gank off with PoE. And Azir is well past six at this point. You know that he has alt. He hasn't used it yet. He still has flash as well. And yet you still try and go for this play where he he just walks out of this bush, starts walking at the Azir. Azir starts to use his soldiers to, to shoot back to the tower. And Huni flash alts onto him, following him under his tower where Azir the, the, uh, Perks immediately just uses the alt to push him further past tower, get out of the Camille alt, and the trade ends up going one for one initially. PoE luckily is able to clean up the kill, but then right pr- pretty much like a few seconds later, Vulcan was setting up a ward near Rift, Harold, and uh, obviously as soon as he sees Huni in mid lane starts running down to help Perks. He's able to clean up the kill on PoE. So overall, a two for one in favor of C9 off of this just horrific flash play. And again, this play was two parts. It was a horrific misplay and underestimation by Huni, who should far and above, you know, with all the experience he has, should far and above know that this play isn't going to work out. And also just an an excellent response, you know, perks having the mechanics to create the separation in the mid. Looking at it, Camille is on the inside of that tower with no escape tools, just taking shots. And also Corky is zoned by two soldiers at the same time. Like every piece of Azir's kit was used very, very well, almost perfectly to create separation while putting out damage threats. You do definitely have to have to give credit to to how well Perks played this overall as well. I mean, a lot of the blame, I think, does have to be put on Hooney for this just dumb dive attempt. But Perks really played this pretty much perfectly. I don't think there was really anything else he could have done. It, it, was, it was really, really clean. And then right after this, it seemed like almost just a rage response from TSM after throwing this dive. They pretty much immediately go for another one bot with Spica, but you're trying to dive a level six Alistar in Misfortune. What are, what are you thinking? Yeah, so it starts out with Zven blowing summoners. So I, I, I can see where they're getting this idea that it's okay right away. But at the same time, it, it's still Alistar with ulti. Like, like there, there are still so many CC tools available there. It, it was just rough to see. And like o- overall, not a good idea. If you're playing solo queue games and you see Alistar and Misfortune at level six, unless you're bringing your full teams, don't try and dive them, man. It's not a good idea. You're probably going to lose that fight. Oh, 
Hold on. I, I'm sorry. I was looking at two separate fights, and TSM just failed both dives. So, so it didn't happen once. It happened twice. The second time just didn't result in a kill. That, that That's so bad. That is brutal. It, it was really rough. Yeah. I, like I said, it really it really felt like a, just a rage play from TSM where they were just upset with themselves that they couldn't get anything mid and Spica said, okay, let's go bot. We can get kills here. It'll be fine, guys. Like We're, we're going to come back in this. Just go bot free kills uh, without really thinking it through. It, it was really rough. At this point, there's a, a 2k gold lead and a drag advantage at 9 minutes, which is a very sizable lead for Cloud9 for so early. This would be good at 20 minutes. And it's at nine minutes. Shortly after, there's a play that happens. Bot, double TP for TSM, but it's only a two-for-one trade. Okay, so let's talk about this, because this is the pre-dragon fight. TSM's dragon control and fighting around bot side and dragon area for this objective have been absolutely terrible. It's just it's just not been good the, the whole time. They don't set up well, and they don't take good fights a lot of times it is sword art getting caught out first. And I, I don't know if it's aggressive warding being out of position, a combination of that, him trying desperately to create a play or create pressure or something there. But it doesn't look good and something desperately needs to be changed around how TSM approach this objective if they're going to see success in the future. Because right now they're just failing outright. Yeah, it it's so hard to see. So yeah, just failed dives, uh, really using over committing in, in plays with that double TP only going two for one. Not worth it, in my opinion. TSM started to mount a comeback uh, through the mid game. They had some really nice picks, uh, but there was one moment that stood out to me where Blabber, I think, really stole some of their momentum and just got he POE is in the top lane on the Corky, doesn't have package and Barber just runs at him and kills him. <laughs> like there were, I don't think there was anything that Poe could have done. It's just, I think Udir is probably still a little overtuned right now. Uh, he he's received some ner- nerfs on live already, but haven't hit LCS when these games were played. So he's still very strong, and I mean, shouldn't Udir be able to solo like a tank? Udir be able to solo kill a Corky? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, maybe not, but it happens. <laughs> Uh, one thing that really stood out to me when I was watching this game over again, around the 20 minute marks, like I said, TSM was like making a comeback. It was actually there was still a huge gold lead in favor of C9, but like TSM were showing signs of life. And yet the casters at this point, they're talking about speedos and different euphemisms for dicks. Instead of the actual game and it, just the thought crossed my mind of like, I, I get why people don't watch LCS like I, and even when this game was live like I, I was chatting we were messaging and, and whatever and there was a point where I was like I can't I can't handle these broadcasters and I, I had to switch to double lift stream I just I don't oh man why are you talking about speedos when there's a, a close game between like rival teams happening i mean it, it is nice so that they provide us with these options to watch like actual I don't want to say intelligent commentary, but but more educated <laughs> commentary. You know, you know, but you know what I mean. Because former pros have the most insight out of anyone. Oh yeah, and I, I've I've found it very entertaining watching. I'm I'm really glad that Doublelift has picked it up. I found his co-streams to be 
excellent. Uh, in the past, I've watched a lot of uh, Sneaky Medios do co-streams together, which are really funny <laughs> at the very least. They like to troll each other a lot when they're talking about different plays, uh, which is entertaining to me. And I, I watched uh, I Will Dom a lot as as well before Double Lift started, but I've been doing Double Lifts a lot. Anyway, back to the game. C9 at one point just start up the Baron and they have an Udir who at this point has Dark Seal with quite a few stacks on it and they have an Azir. So, I mean, they just shred this thing and by the time that C that uh, TSM find out about it, it's already pretty late, but Blabber, or sorry, not Blabber, a uh, Vulcan uses his Hex Flash to get over the wall, zones them off, and this is where the fudge play happened that I that, that I made a reference to earlier. Off of this, since Vulcan was able to peel them off, he ended up dying for it, but pretty much forced TSM to stay around longer by just being distracting. And then C9 is able to kill off, finish off the Baron, move around, chase down more kills, and there was this huge play where he comes around behind the top tier two while his other teammates are like running into it. They're chasing the Camille. He starts up his E, ward hops onto the Camille. Camille, uh, I'm pretty sure she flashed. She might have just E'd. But she like dodges out of it. And like instantly, the reaction time on, on this was kind of nutty to see. Just instantly flashes back on top of her to guarantee the stun. It Honestly, like that play was a little mind blowing to see that it was so clean from fudge. So kudos to him for that. Yeah, definitely some practice paying off. He's been on Jax duty quite a bit, so it's nice to see him really being confident after a lack of success and finding these good plays still. Yeah, yeah, it was really good to see him uh, being active there and, and seeing some obvious practice paying off. And then at the 23 minute mark, I think this was the moment where TSM had the best chance to come back. I mean, it's still a long shot, but you hear these pro players and and we mentioned it as well talking about just playing the percentages and, and what are your odds to win fights at different situations and tsm actually had a pretty good opportunity to try and turn a fight even if they had been a little more active on it i'm not sure if it would have worked out but i think this was their best chance uh 23 minutes they're they're having a fight in c9's like red side bot side jungle Vulcan loops around like all the way around through river and down through lane to get behind TSM. PoE almost gets caught on the Corky, but has package, so he's able to package out, leaving this huge trail of just massive damage if C9 want to keep moving forward. So like all of C9 is trapped behind this Corky Napalm field. Vulcan comes around, starts an engage. C9, the rest, the rest of the team can't get there, so they're able to pick off Vulcan. By the time he is dead, the Napalm is wearing off. C9 keep pushing forward because they still have a huge gold lead. TSM are backing up towards the alcove, and, and there was a moment where I think Sorter on Leona should have just sat in that bush and waited a, a second or two and then looked to turn because at that point you have a 4v5 opportunity. You have a numbers advantage. I know some of their health bars were pretty low uh, just from Vulcan, which is kind of nuts if a support is able to bring you low. But again, huge gold advantage. But I, I really think that was their best chance. And instead, Sword Art just like keeps trying to peel back while some of his team is now getting stuck in the alcove. 
and and really c9 is able to just chase them down there's a fight that breaks out uh fudge actually had a really another really nice play here where he jumps in gets a stun on it was at least two people but i want to say he actually hit three which was very clean he just missed the leone actually in, in that fight oh, okay so so he hit the two people but then perks come in comes in on the azir has a massive three-man alt to really solidify the ace and and that i think that's really where c9 just turned turned and won the game from there taking that huge gold lead but i i it it, it was a little frustrating to see uh tsm not take that opportunity it, it seemed like they really only took it when they realized that there was no option and i think they should have seen that as an option beforehand for themselves yeah i think at this point it's just an instance of them being too far down in gold uh had this been a closer fight uh in terms of golden items i think tsm comes out on top i just think c9 is too accelerated azir's too fed Jax is hitting that late game point and tsm just don't have the damage right yeah now. for sure uh i actually want to look at the box square of this game because if i remember correctly blabber just had an insane stat line final uh score for blabber four zero and 17 that's insane like this dude has just been a monster on the udir so far it is going to be receiving nerfs as i mentioned earlier so i don't know if it'll still be quite as dominant if it is though you might have to start banning it against cloud nine or first picking if you can because he's been a monster on that champion yeah cloud nine is very quickly becoming extremely difficult to pick against because blabber can just play all the broken stuff right now olaf udir yeah, I, I think that's just his his really big strength is he's always able to Absolutely. play to the meta. So yeah, final score, 26 to 10 for C9 as the Nexus explodes. Three dragons to one. Again, TSM struggling with that objective. And really, they took this bottom fight in the alcove again. TSM struggles bot side so much. Like, like you say that they're up and, and that they should be turning and taking this fight i think just that part of the map is bad for them to fight at right now <laughs> they should just avoid it until they get practice yeah there. all right let's move on to our next game immortals versus golden guardians this is one that i really wanted to talk about because we saw a really interesting pick come out they had ivern top from immortals i think it's really cool uh it's been seen uh, internationally in other leagues as well as a very strong pick it gives you crazy strong team fight ivern is just actually a, a strong champion right now overall uh, he just doesn't quite have like the clear to compete in jungle but we see him having pretty high win rate in solo queue and uh, like i said getting picks in other leagues as well my issue though is they're putting revenge on it and as we talked about with the first game revenge had a huge carry performance on irelia why are you now switching this guy onto a support champ? That just seems like a bad idea. Like you're putting him into such a losing matchup when this guy was the focal point of your early game against TL. Yeah, so th this whole thing is a little confusing for me. I can understand why it's good, right? Like Golden Guardians have a global comp. It's hard to pick people with shields and extra supports around. But I, I just don't see their win conditions here right like like it's it's kaisa basically but then you have olaf and tf plus like zaya becomes a hyper carry and she's paired with rakan who gives her the extra buffs 
right? Like, like it's it's just crazy. Plus, you have G- GPLT coming in. I, I like to see the diversity, but I don't think this was the game for it. And I actually have a note on Gangplank, and it's something that so many people have talked about now. I think Gangplank is potentially the most overpowered champion at level one just because of that trial by fire. It is insane how much damage that champion can do level one. I totally agree, but it's also players just not playing around it well, right? And in a lot of these games where it looks broken, it's because players don't respect it. And if you've been in these matchups before, it is your responsibility, level one as a professional, to play back and respect it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we're seeing players just consistently not doing that. With this game, we saw, once again, Immortals got off to a strong start. They got two kills early. Uh, it was a double kill at six minutes. And then they are able to drag off it, which is really good. However, Revenge is down 20 CS versus the Gangplank, who is not only just up gold in general, but is getting extra gold because of his parlay. I don't have like a ton of notes on this, so we're jumping ahead at 22 minutes. Reyes flashes forward at 22 minutes to try and kill the TF. But Gangplank is right there. He's flashing right into the face of this Niles Gangplank who is already super farmed. Yeah, you really have to be aware of that whenever you're burning flash. But like, especially at this tier of gameplay, if you're burning flash to go forward, you are greeting straight up because the philosophy is you should flash to live more often than not. Yeah, unless it's a guaranteed kill, you don't take it. And that was not a guaranteed kill. Um, So that was really rough to see. And I think Immortals rawness is is really showing through in this game. And and the comms seem really, really shaky. It really seems like they're not on the same page for a lot of these plays. The one thing that stood out at the 23 minute mark, uh, Destiny on Rel jumped in. Uh, to to try and start and engage on Golden Guardians. But like as he's doing it, the rest of his team is just walking away, meaning he's jumping into five people, instantly dies, nothing else happens. Yeah, that's just bad team play overall. It was really, really rough to to watch that happen. Because, I, I mean, honestly, it didn't even seem like that bad of engage at all if they were actually on the same page, but it's just clear that they weren't. Would you say it's really rough? <laughs> God damn it. So after this, uh, the Golden Guardians, they're able to just rush Baron at the 27 minute mark and Immortals don't have a chance to respond to it at all. Uh, By the time they get there, it's pretty much already done. And uh, GG is able to actually pick off Xerxes on the Hecarim after that. And I will say Xerxes overall, I think, played really well on the Hecarim Uh, at the 32 minute mark. He was 4-1 and 4. So considering that they were... uh, after the early game, they really fell behind. Going four one and four is pretty good. I am I'm liking what I'm seeing from Zertzi so far, and I'm excited to see where this team can go once they have more practice playing together. Yeah, I am always up for Hecarim gameplay as long as it's not too much, because I don't want one of my favorite champions to get nerfed. <laughs> yeah, that was really my main notes on that game. Did you have anything else for Immortals Golden Guardians? Oh uh, yeah, a couple quick things I want to point out. Uh, air drags are huge for golden guardians they managed to get the first two and that really unlocks their potential right uh all the ultimates are key for this yeah, side especially of like when you're playing a global comp um getting any sort of cooldown reduction specifically on that ultimate is so huge yeah 
so they're both the most impactful and they have the longest cooldowns in the game. Uh, if you look at global ultimates, there's always a large gate on the cooldowns. And so getting that onto GP, getting that onto TF and Olaf, it's far and above the most impactful. But yeah, that, that, that's about it. it. It's fairly standard after that, you know, uh, IMT goes up quite a bit in kills, but they just falter in team fights. And some of it, like you said, is miscommunication. Some of it is just, this is such a weird comp. I, I can't really see the direction unless someone gets super fed. You know, if someone gets super fed, they're empowered to be a hyper carry. But that didn't happen for either Ori or Kaisa in this game. So they were left with no backup leg to stand on. Yeah, because it, they, it was pretty rough. They can only disengage so much. They can only CC so yeah. much. And then someone has to die. And if no one's dying, GG is just going to keep coming for you. Yep. Yeah. Moving in to our last day of games for week one on the Sunday. Started off with TL versus FlyQuest as expected. Uh, TL took the win there. Game two, Evil Genius versus Golden Guardians, also as expected. EG takes the win. Cloud9 versus Immortals is our game three. Cloud9 take the win to become the first 3-0 team through this weekend. Next game is TSM versus CLG, which is one we're going to be talking about. TSM take the win, putting CLG to 0-3. And then in our last game, we have 100 Thieves versus Dignitas. 100 Thieves take the win, becoming the second 3-0 team. So let's jump into this first game. Josh, I know that you're excited to talk about it. I am not, because this was a rough one to watch. I'm not going to lie. TSM versus CLG. Yeah, so so this game was just a fiesta from start to finish. My goodness. Oh, I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, Doublelift has been putting up VODs for all the TSM games, at least because obviously he still has pretty strong connections to that team, despite being retired now. So he's been putting up VODs of just edited down versions of his co-streams of them. And the title of this one, uh, I'm pretty sure it was just like, this game gave me a headache. Oh yeah, I, I, I watched him figure that out live and he wanted to put this game gave me AIDS. But his girlfriend was like, no, that's not brand friendly. You shouldn't put that. <laughs> so then he changed AIDS to a headache. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's pretty awful. <laughs> that but, sounds uh, great. That's funny. So TSM is going for a hyper support comp. Again, this is similar to the Ivern comp. We see a support in the top lane in Lulu, but the hyper carries are much better, right? We've got uh, Power of Evil on Azir. He's comfortable with it. He can carry with it. Yeah, we've seen Azir come out as probably one of his uh, favorite champs, or at least one that he plays the most of. Yeah, and he looks good on it, but I will say he's no Bjerg on it, and that's, you know, it's hard to come in and have one of the same signature champions and not look as good as your predecessor. It Yeah, it's it's really rough, and I, I mean, we've talked about it with Lost as well. It's just such hard shoes to fill. One thing I will mention as well with this Lulu, teams have been terrified of Huni's Lulu. They've been perma-banning it. And you can see why to an extent in this game. Early on, he's he's really mean to Finn. <laughs> Finn does not have a fun time early on in this lane. However, at the same time, TSM win on the crutch of a late game team comp here and not on their merits or play early game at all. 
Yeah, it was really just I, like I, I think the the main reason for the TSM win here is uh, CLG didn't push hard enough early game, in my opinion, having more of an early game comp, and it l- allowed TSM to outscale. I don't think it was really any. I don't think there was anything specific that TSM did uh, to really help them win. It was more so just the draft. Yeah, so it, if TSM plays this and plays the way they did into a top six team, let's say, do you think they win? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> any team, and especially one that's going to be more coordinated, because as we talked about earlier with CLG, they have uh, Griffin in right now. They're waiting for Proxa to come. And they have this sub in RJS. Like, this is not their full roster. This is not who they've been uh, doing scrims with. So they're, the, the comms aren't going to be as strong as as any of these other more top of the the tier list teams who are actually coordinated and have set plans and have scrimmed together and have practice because they will actually take a lead and win with it. So the game starts off and it's fairly boring. There is no first blood until 11 minutes in this game. This plays perfectly into TSM's game plan of scaling. Yeah, it was a lot of just farm power farming. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I think overall, like, TSM was very happy with that. Furthermore, TSM's trade control in this game is actually really good to start. They give up some of the gold around the map, but they do manage to secure the dragons. So first we go to TSM, it is Fire Mountain Ocean. Uh, So looking at it around the 18 minute mark, CLG is up 3k gold. Most of that comes from turrets. It's three turrets to one. Uh, Two kills to one, so not a ton of gold there. But TSM has the drakes. And that puts a lot of pressure on CLG for the rest of the game. Yeah, especially with it being Ocean Soul. I I find Cloud is really the main one where it's not like a guaranteed win if you get it. I really feel like if you get Mountain Soul, if you get Infernal Soul, if you get Ocean Soul, and you're a half-decent team... It's a pretty free win from there. Obviously, we did earlier see a team that got Infernal Soul still lose, but uh, <laughs> that's another story. That's kind of a special case, though. That's more of an exception than a rule. But uh, really, I think Ocean is like the big one. Like if you get Ocean, it's you're you have to try to lose the game at that point. It's such a strong. Yeah. Goal. So looking back at this game, uh, it can be summed up by TSM going more or less even early but getting that crutch of the dragons as their advantage, which kind of just props them up in a way where they don't fold in fights and they are able to scale very, very well. They're not behind at all going into the late game. Uh, I want to call out Sword Art. He did get caught at Drake 5. Uh, so CLG take Drake 4. And then at Drake 5. So yeah, look, looking at this fight, four TSM members are in the pit ready as the drag is spawning and sort of sort of is just behind the pit right and Udyr just runs at him yeah i remember this and play it's, it, it's like why why is there that separation you have a ward in the backside of red brush so you see at least one of them up in that area you have to assume the rest are coming that way why wouldn't you be grouped with your team? And, and this is something we've seen so many times in the lock-in tournament already. It's it's becoming very, very frustrating because it's a repeat thing. 
yeah, it it seems very commonplace for Sword Art to just be out of position and got cut out. And that that was something I, I had mentioned in our first episode. I, I I mentioned like watching him in Worlds. It felt like there was a lot of times where if his team wasn't just insanely ahead, he was so far out of position. And then when you're when you're switching to a team like TSM that has a lot of new members and isn't going to be dominant right off the bat, no matter what, really, it makes it really hard when you play that way, <laughs> when you're when you're playing so risky and pushing so far up for really no reason. Uh, one thing I will say with this play, which is really, really unfortunate for Sword Art, is he takes the blast cone over the wall into the pit with with Griffin on the Udir. And then he immediately ease him to try and start locking him up so his team can kill him, I, I can only assume. And Double Lift talked about this, and he said it's probably about like a one in a hundred chance for you to get this timing exactly. But he he times it in a way that unfortunately he ease right at the time that Griffin flashes, right before the root comes through, so that Griffin is still able to get that flash off, and so that Sword Art still follows him over the wall so that like the sword still connects but it's before the root and I, again like double lift explained it and said it's it's just insanely unlucky timing really like you you couldn't get that timing if you tried sort of thing so i i do blame him for being out of position and needing to take that blast cone over but i don't fully blame him for getting the death there because following the udir over the wall with the e super unfortunate i would tend to believe him less if this wasn't a trend that we we've seen for so many games now yeah, yeah. So uh, the the big theme going to the late game is Finn continues to split push. Uses Camille. <laughs> yes, this is something Double Lift was so he incredibly frustrated by. his own team to death. Uh, TSM gains Baron buff, is pushing down mid. Uh, Finn is splitting bot. TSM focusing on uh, drag six. Which will again, and it's insane. I I'm at the 31 minute mark right now, and CLG still have like a 6k gold lead, and yet all he's doing is they're split pushing. He refuses to group, even though they have this massive gold lead. He creates a 4v5 the entire time, and then uh, towards the end of the game, he's split pushing, and they just send Azir back to deal with him, and Azir out damages them so significantly that you because it's so late game at this point yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter that you're There's diving no a squishy hope. azir like like the, the damage is just there and azir can create separation so so moving through uh quickly here tsm finally managed to get ocean soul around the 35 minute mark finally takes that objective off the map because my god do i get nervous every time tsm walks dragon side they, they just can't close down there and then from there, it's the same story of TSM trying to find that balancing act. And to their credit, they do it very well this game of sending a person back to deal with Finn's split push. But yeah, to TSM's credit, they do juggle this pressure that CLG is applying on two fronts very, very well. They, they respond to it very well. Uh, and, and ultimately, it, it just leads to uh, too many eggs in the wrong basket for CLG. They are unable to maximize on their lead in a team fight because of the split push, and they are unable to maximize on the split push pressure because TSM responds to it well. What one thing that I just noticed that I think is actually like pretty inexcusable at 36 minute mark, uh, CLG is sieging TSM's mid inhib tower, and 
it has I'm going to be generous and say maybe a thousand health on it and PoE starts teleporting to it that that tower is not surviving man why why are you TPing to that tower TP to one of the minions that's like right next to it or something to guarantee you get that TP off because we see that the the tower dies and the TP gets cancelled and that's such a huge cooldown such a huge tool wasted I just wanted to point that out because that's I, I really think that's inexcusable for especially a guy like PoE who has a lot of experience I agree and then we look at what happens after and it's not punished and TSM just walked forward after that so it's really good that you caught that and you're able to point that out but I, I wish CLG could have punished that a little bit because they're still up 4k gold at this point Dragons aside. I, I will say though, Ocean Soul is like if you were to try and put a gold number on that, I was talking about earlier, I think I'd probably put Infernal on like a thousand gold overall as value, like for the team. Ocean Soul, that's like a thousand gold per person on the team. Like Ocean Soul is just insane. It's so honestly, it feels overpowered <laughs> compared to the other dragons. It's such a huge buff having just a ridiculous amount of healing yeah that could be a big part of it here the the soul plus the dragons plus again the scaling right like zai is very much online at this point they have the engage with leona so al- although there's a 4k gold lead i i honestly feel like tsm is probably still stronger at this point just because of that that ocean i still though i just don't feel like running away and getting run down is the correct. I, I I think they should have stood their ground and fight uh, and fought here. I, I think a, as we talked about with TSM, the, the last TSM game we talked about, I, I think that's kind of the reverse of what we had, where I think Sword Art should have turned a TSM's game. I, I feel like that was probably one of CLG's actually best opportunities to try and actually win a fight. What was right there, because the gold lead is still in their favor, although stats might not uh, like overall show that or actual strength might act- not actually show that. But like, you've just blown that tp you know that poe can't actually get there finn has tp finn has teleport finn join your team man like if finn tps and they actually turn in that case i think they might actually have a fight even if he doesn't though i think that 4v4 is actually probably one of the best chances clg had to uh to try and win this game so i i do agree that overall uh, I think they probably should have just taken that that opportunity in turns. Yeah, and I I think a lot of it is also just like too little, too late from Finn, right? So so uh, in keeping with that fight, Finn is just a little too late getting the inhib where he has to choose between leaving the inhib at half health and TPing into the fight before it's too late, or going for that. And to his credit, he commits very hard. He dodges the Azir wall and commits to the one v one inside his own ultimate, but he's under tower and it's Azir. And the day late, like late game, yeah, <laughs> yeah. His, his health bar just evaporates. Yeah, watching Finn was extremely frustrating through this. Yeah, game, so I, I think that's the big part of this game that created the fiesta feel was just the constant chasing of players around the map trying to deal with split pushers. It really did feel uh, reminiscent of old CLG. You know, uh, Zion Spartan or Darshan used to play this style a lot before that. Hotshot GG used to play a lot of split push style with the Nidalee. Uh, so so this really is a core identity for CLG, even in this newer iteration of the roster. But as teams get better, this, this split-put strategy just is not successful, unfortunately. And uh, I, I think that's ultimately uh, one of the big contributors to the loss here for CLG. Yeah, I, I really do think that was uh, a, a really, really big reason that they 
weren't able to take that early lead. Let's move on to our last game, though. 100 Thieves versus Dignitas. Dignitas this game right away. Yeah. <laughs> and like from Tramp Select, too. So I, I like innovative picks. I like new stuff. It's cool. What we touched on earlier, uh, you pointed this out again. FBI and Huhi play the Kench Senelane. And in response, Aphromu takes the Blitzcrank. So this is becoming that sort of counter pick to this lane, this response pick. Really cool to see. But Dardoch picks Rengar in this game. And Rengar is extremely feast or famine. And the feast doesn't outweigh the famine, in my opinion. Especially not in pro play. I, I think Rengar can be like an incredible pick for solo queue, because solo queue is just so much more chaotic. But like when you actually have cohesive like a, a cohesive team with good comms like if you were to take this against clg it might have looked a lot better taking it against 100 thieves though come on man this team has looked so in sync e- even when they were failing dives they were failing dives together at least like their comms are so tight and yeah it i did not like this pick at all I have a couple more notes for this draft as well. I think this blitz pick is really good because, as we mentioned, they have the Tom Kench, but 100 Thieves also has Demonte playing set mid. So Blitz is actually getting a lot of value here with his ultimate because you have two massive shields that you can just take off of people immediately with the set and Tom Kench. So I, I actually think this is a, a fantastic pick overall. But then on the other end, it's something that we saw a lot in Lockin. I, I feel like you can never give up both Renekton and Talia. I do not think you can allow those two champions to be on the same team. So this is actually, I want to point out, eerily, eerily similar to the CLG game. The opposing team has Renekton, Talia, and Dignitas has Gragas in the top lane. So Gragas plus an assassin in the jungle so Gragas creates separation for the assassin in team fights, and, and like overall, as we talked about, that can actually be a, a, a really good combo. I th- I think this is, but I don't know. Playing against strong comms, it makes it so hard to pull off those uh, assassin picks, especially the ones that have a way in. Yeah, and not so a way I think out. this is better than the way CLG was running it, just because they have more power coming from their mid and bot side. It seems. But at the same time, they're giving away these key picks and also set in the mid lane where it's just extremely difficult to create success. And it's also way more difficult to proactively gank against Renekton and Talia, who are both very big bullies early on. Uh, I will say Fake God played really well in the Gragas early on. I think there was an early TP dive top uh, for 100 Thieves and like Fake God really just played it phenomenally it, he he did everything he could uh let me actually like pull up that vod because i don't have notes on if he did i think he got a kill and lived like i think it ended up being a one like he 2v1 and got a kill and didn't die if i'm not mistaken but i want to double check on that yeah, it's at the seven minute mark and he's able to trade one for one after being dove yeah so he plays it so well using everything he has to turn that 2v1 into a one-for-one, but obviously also getting that TP out of Demonte. So overall, Fate God coming out on top of that trade. Yeah, so this is one of the great things we see with the Gragas pick, is it's just so hard to dive someone with that much CC and mobility. 
and he has the damage reduction as well from his drink. Uh, I think it's his W. So just having all of those tools, we see the same sort of thing with Irelia as just an, an incredibly hard champion to dive. And it, I think Gragas falls into the same category. Yeah, it just creates that danger that's kind of a deterrent by itself uh, when sending two members up there. Yeah, so he played really well against that dive top. In total, he burned three summoners because it was TP and two flashes used for 100 Thieves. Yeah, yeah really, when you're when you're looking to create a dive scenario like this, you're blowing so much you have to get something for it. And a one-for-one one is not good enough. That's really rough from 100 Thieves. We've seen them struggle with dives throughout this first weekend. It just seems to be a recurring thing for them, unfortunately. They're still winning games despite it. But I think they could be winning games at a much faster pace <laughs> if, if they weren't just making these mistakes. My my next big note is at the 8.30 mark. Yeah. Dardock. Mm-hmm. Gets executed by Krugs. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, it's he so even had bad, Smite dude. up and could have healed. You're a pro-level player. Come on, man. Come on. And he like... He gets sighted, too. He walks into the bush and then walks out the other side of the bush and then walks back into the bush while Agro's still on him. So that denies him sight, and the Krugs get first attack on him. And it's just, oh, man. This guy's hopes of continuing to play pro are just slipping away so much by the game here. Oh, yeah. That that was so rough to to see. It, oh, man. Yeah, th- th- this is bad that this is inexcusable i i've taught i've i've tried rengar a few times and his early game is hard i i'll totally admit to that it is a rough early game but at the same time like you can't be dying to to minions this is a pvp game if you can't handle the pve aspect of this game what are you doing playing a pvp game oh yeah Especially at a pro level. You're a fucking pro player, dude. And then, uh, I, I mean, partially because of that, because now he's off the map and not getting farm. Talia, at the 11 minute mark, is up two levels on him. That's a massive difference for jungle, man. And, uh, like, my, my note here is I, until this champion gets buff, I mean, maybe Blabber can pull it out and, and, and hyper carry on it or something I, I i could believe that but otherwise i i don't want to see rengar play it again this champ just looked like ass and I, I obviously part of the difference is uh dying to krugs but overall it just really felt like he couldn't do anything i was not a fan of of that champ at all in this game yeah and you know look at the 20 minute mark talia's up 70 cs and a kill and an assist yeah it hit 24 minutes and closer got a 100 cs lead with a four level difference that is inexcusable that is that's that's ridiculous and one thing i will know is demonte was playing set and there was a lot of the time that demonte was feeding gold to closer on the talia because obviously that's their carry it, it was a full tank set but a four level difference 100 cs that that's way too much man i can see like a 50 cs difference if uh if you're kind of getting funneled but 100 cs four levels way too much yep. and then moving ahead to uh the 28 minute mark 
Sorry, there, there was something a little before this that I wanted to talk about. There was a point where Damonte was pushing bot lane on this full tank set. And I, I, I got to go back to it because I, I actually really like this. This build path gets caught out by the entire Dignitas team. 1v5s makes it out and it ends up being a one for one with just both teams top laners dying. But there was a solid five to ten seconds probably where it was literally Demonte against all five Dignitas members and they couldn't kill him. Yeah, it's just crazy. And you know, this really does speak to a team with a cohesive diverse playstyle again. You know, they're able to empower Closer in the jungle to be their AP damage carry and, and put a tank mid. Not all teams can do that. Not all teams will find success that way. I, I think Demonte overall has looked pretty good on this set as well. Uh, I believe he played it quite a bit last season as well. So I, I'm a fan of the pick and I, I don't know if it was like fully their intent, but that that could have been a flex pick as well because we see set support at times uh, like they had not locked in. Uh, they played Tom Kench in this game, if I'm not mistaken. They had not locked that in yet. So that could have actually ended up being like a flex where they were planning for that to go support and then saw the the enemy's picks. And again, just having that that versatile champ pool and instead take it mid and take the Tom Kench support. It's so valuable to be able to do stuff like that. And I think that's where these top teams really shine. Like TL does that pretty well. Cloud9 does that exceptionally well uh, in the past, at least. Obviously, 100 Thieves being a top team. EG, we talk about how diverse they, they are with their champ pools. It really shows through to just how strong being able to flex picks is. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to say, Demonte as a player... I am quickly becoming a huge fan of. This is homegrown NA mid lane talent. We don't have a lot of it. And this guy has looked great on most picks he's pulled out. His TF is present around the map. He's able to play tanks. He's able to play other AP champions. Very diverse pool and very effective in his role, whatever it may be within the team. Quickly yeah. becoming a fan of this guy. I feel like at this point, it's it's pretty safe to say that Demonte is the best, like homegrown NA talent in the mid lane right now. I, I don't think there's any question that he is the best, like native North American mid laner right now. He's been in incredible. So, moving on to the 28 minute mark, uh, just touching quickly again on this fight, we see it in the numbers. So Senna and Set both deal about 2400 damage uh renekton is a tank deals about 750 it's expected he's supposed to be uh the bodyguard and then talia is 4500 damage in this fight just insane those are huge numbers yeah it's like more than four other members or four members of dignitas combined and, and she almost does as much as the whole team of dignitas so yeah, that just shows how far ahead she is. Of course, at this point, Rengar is relegated to basically being a melee minion again with a jump. Uh, so not too much of a surprise. And it, it's just a textbook close here unless you have anything else to go over. No, I, I think 100 Thieves, like, they got a lead early. They knew their comp. They played it very well. Like a, a couple mistakes early on, which we've seen. But overall, this was their cleanest game. We saw their their past two games, it went really long both were 40 plus minutes if i remember correctly 
But in this one, they were able to close it out, I want to say, around like the 32-minute mark or something like that. So much cleaner from uh, what we've seen of them overall. Very impressive. I'm liking 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves is coming out as uh, one of the teams that I'm probably going to watch more often than not. Yeah, I can definitely get behind that. I'll definitely be paying attention to these guys a lot more going forward. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Summoner's Corner. I hope that you enjoyed. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Will Rolling On Air, and I'm on Twitter at Will Rolling Live, and I also stream on Twitch.tv at Twitch.tv slash The Mad Hatter. Josh, where can we find you? Uh, streaming most days on Twitch at Twitch.tv slash Snapcaster13. Thank you for listening, and stay safe.